looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, it's a touchdown! And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. In football... They call it a tell. Now, right out of the gates here, gentlemen, if I'm leaving you guys behind, if I'm getting too advanced with the X's and O's, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, you know, Paulie Pointer up here on the screen as I break down the video, if I get too advanced, you just let me know. You know, a tell. Like uh, the back goes in motion, the linebacker goes with them. Maybe that might tell you it's man coverage, for example. Well, I bring that up because historically, annually, there's been a tell that marks you know, field of dream style. You know, I need like James Earl Jones here. Marks the start of the football season. And perennially, it's the feature story on the long snapper. Well, we don't get that this year. We, we just don't get that because, you know, I mean, another tragic loss to the pandemic. We don't get the feature on Aaron Brewer. Although I'm hoping maybe during the bye week, one of you guys uh, will put in a full week and actually give us what we do need a feature on the long snapper. But Darren Urban, I put it to you. I, I think the last box has been checked here in 2020 with the contract to DeAndre Hopkins. Was that not the last unanswered question and the longest intro ever to Cardinals Underground Go? <laughs> Either one of those can be the tell of the season to come. But obviously, the DeAndre Hopkins deal is is the is the biggest news. And and I don't know if it's a huge surprise given the fact that um, you know Steve Kime said I think in his very first interview after the Hopkins trade happened that, you know, that was something that they wanted to discuss. Um, and it might've even been done sooner than this if it wasn't for the pandemic. But uh, here we are, DeAndre Hopkins, the agent, got DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, the uh, player, a pretty nice two-year extension. And uh, now he can be super happy as he starts his Cardinals career. Yeah, I mean, you don't trade for DeAndre Hopkins and win the offseason, Kyle, if you don't give him a new contract. It was always part of the deal was to give him a new deal. Otherwise, you don't make that deal, right? Well, the Cardinals make that deal in a heartbeat if you don't have to do that. But knowing that DeAndre Hawkins wanted an extension and that seemed to be the root of the issue in Houston because obviously they had an all-pro receiver who was putting up huge numbers. But he wanted more money. And, and I think the Cardinals realized that, yeah, we, we're going to have to give him more money because he is – vastly underpaid for the production he's put on the field and if you look at it now I mean he got the big headline when Ian Rappaport tweeted out that it's the biggest non-quarterback average annual value in, in NFL history and the last two years are but those are you know three years from now is when that kicks in so from a Cardinals salary cap perspective this is not a, a bad deal for them they have these three years that were cheaper and those pretty much stayed. And then he tacked on the two expensive ones, but overall you're still getting a, a good deal market value wise for Deandre Hopkins. And, you know, you have him for the next five years uh, through the rest of his prime. And based on what he told the media, Darren, and there were, there were some reports to this effect earlier in the off season. It was important to D hop to get that guaranteed money. He felt like he was going into the season 
without the guaranteed money, even though as a vested veteran on day one of the regular season, your salary is guaranteed for injury, correct? So it's all how you determine and define guaranteed money. That is part of it, Paul. Although, I mean, while if he, if he got hurt this season, you know, his salary would be guaranteed. But then all of a sudden, depending on the kind of injury it is, uh, if your career gets sidetracked because of it, then the rest of it isn't. And while he, so he'd get a chunk of it, he certainly wouldn't get the guarantees that he's getting now reportedly over $40 million. So um, I, I think this was something, I mean, first of all, this was a reason, one of the reasons, not all of the reasons, but this was one of the reasons DeAndre Hopkins wanted to move on from Houston and one of the reasons that Houston wanted to move on from him. Uh, and the Texans ended up giving Deshaun Watson a big contract. And, and, you know, this is Kyle's favorite topic right here. This is what you get to do when you have your stud quarterback on his rookie contract is moves like this. Um, you know, it, it is going to be interesting, even though, uh, you know, the first couple of years of this deal are, are decent for what DeAndre Hopkins is. If this, when the salary cap goes down and we're all assuming it's going to go down next year, how that impacts everything else. And, you know, Patrick Peterson is still going to be a free agent and how that figures in too. But um, again, it goes back to, you don't make this trade for a guy who makes it clear that he wants an upgraded contract without knowing you're going to give him an upgraded contract. So this was a foregone conclusion, no matter what anybody wants to say about three years left on the deal and, and that it's done, I think is a, is a big deal for this team. And you made it clear that he wants to be in Arizona. No trade clause, no franchise tag. Uh, he, he, apparently, he likes what he's seen at Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury there, Kyle, because he, he wants to be on board long term. Yeah, I think he has the same general feeling that a lot of people do, that the Cardinals are building something that could be pretty special. And they have a lot to prove. But what Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury showed in that first season certainly brought a lot of hope for this offense and for this team and DeAndre Hopkins being 28 years old, playing with a lot of different quarterbacks throughout his career. He wants to have somebody who's going to be his quarterback for the next five years. And he knows if I'm in Arizona, I'm paired with Kyler Murray and I'm paired with Cliff Kingsbury and we can really grow something. He could have done something similarly in Houston. I mean, they had a star quarterback. He'd been with Deshaun Watson for three years, but I think the money was the big issue there where like Darren talked about when, when you have Kyler Murray for cheap for four seasons, it allows you to pay a lot of other guys. We've seen it with Buda Baker. We see it with DeAndre Hopkins now. I mean, in, in three or four years, it's going to get a little tight. You're going to have to extend Kyler Murray if he's playing well. If he gets a mega deal, then you're going to have to make some tough decisions. But for now, we've seen Steve Kime just continue to stack the roster because he has that money to play with. The tweet from DeAndre Hopkins and or his social media expert that's on the D-Hop team, Team D-Hop, reads, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Would you care to translate? That's our Rorschach test for the day, Darren. Go ahead and translate that. This is English lit class. What exactly does he mean? Well, if it was coming straight from DeAndre, maybe there would be some translating to do. He made it pretty clear that it was not his idea. He just kind of gave it the thumbs up. I mean, I I think in general, um, again, you know, where he stood maybe this time last year or even right after the regular season with Houston, not necessarily having the best relationship with Bill O'Brien, the coach and general manager there, not having the contract that he wanted, um, having admitted now uh, that he had seen some Cardinal stuff and was intrigued by playing with the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury's offense, uh, that all has come to pass. He's got away from Houston. 
He is now a Cardinal. He has his money. He has a young quarterback. He has a good wide receiver room to play within. Um, there's a lot of things for DeAndre Hopkins to be happy about, so it's not surprising that he was smiling a lot after getting $40 million in guaranteed money. And look, whether he missed portions of training camp because of the tight hamstring or because the negotiations were getting tight, uh, who knows? It doesn't matter now because he does have a history of two things. One, being a gamer. And two, if memory serves, he's only missed two games in his seven-year career. So he's been reliable. He's been dependable. The question now, Kyle, is, and as we all look into our crystal football here in week one Sunday in Santa Clara, what exactly does he mean to the Cardinals offense? How do you think D-Hop translates into the Cardinals' ability to move the ball? Yeah, it's, it's definitely an intriguing question for the first week because I think over 16 games, we all feel like he's going to get 1,200 yards or more, you know, during this season. But like you said, he didn't practice much in camp. He's learning a new offense. He's got a new quarterback. There are a lot of things working against him a little bit, but I feel like he's just going to come out. I, I think that he's going to have a big game already. I, I think they know where Richard Sherman is going to line up. So if they don't want DeAndre Hopkins to go against Sherman and Sherman probably won't travel, then you can keep him away from him and scheme stuff for DeAndre Hopkins. If he gets 100 yards and a touchdown in the first game, wouldn't surprise me. No, that's a good point. Usually Sherman plays sides, and that's been part of the uh, beef back and forth between Richard Sherman and Pat P over the years. We, we know all. Yeah. So you're right. You can scheme accordingly. There, there's no doubt about that. What do you think, Darren? Because we heard Kyler Murray hint that what we all envisioned and or was supposed to come to fruition with Clint Kingsbury's offense a year ago, where he's going to make a defense defend every yard of that gridiron. Golden State Warriors on grass spread that field. That's what I see. That's what I think of. I, I go back to a year ago and what we originally envisioned with this Cardinals offense. Now that you have all the weapons and the run game, plus D-Hop, that outside receiver, I think this is where we finally do see that come to be. I don't disagree with you, Paul, although I will say that it would have been interesting to see that unleashed in week one against the Lions again, as opposed to maybe the 49ers and, and a NFC championship winning defense. So I, I do – I am interested to see how that plays out. I'm interested to see how teams handle not having preseason games and not a lot of live hitting and not an offseason to really talk about. I mean, we don't know how all those things are going to impact the game. We don't know how no crowd is going to impact the game. Um, you know, I can only – I go back to 2011. There were preseason games that year with after the lockout. Um, but offenses were ahead of defenses early, and I wonder if there's a chance that that's possible here. Obviously, that would really play into the into the advantage, I would think, of the Cardinals, given who they have on offense and where it could go. And and I agree. There's just there's so many different options that the Cardinals have right now offensively, whether it's Kenyon Drake or D Hop or Christian Kirk, or Fitz, or Dan Arnold, or, or whatever they really want to do. I mean, even a little bit of Andy Isabella, who had his one big shining moment last year against the 49ers uh, with that 88-yard catch and run. You know, who knows? Maybe he, he plays a, a role that we're not even expecting at this point. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about defending every inch of grass. Not only do you add the outside proven three-time all-pro receiver, the X, the X receiver, but, I mean, Kyle, if Andy Isabella is a factor – and you add that elite speed out of the slot to take the top off, as we all love to say, right? 
then think about stretching that defense even further. Think of all the room created for a Christian Kirk and a Larry Fitzgerald to work underneath. We've talked about Cliff Kingsbury and his, his offseason of scheming when he's looking at tape from the XFL and college. And I'm sure he has a, uh, a notebook full of ideas that he wants to do. And knowing how unique of a piece Andy Isabella is, I'd assume he's going to try to get him involved in certain ways. Uh, I still feel like it might only be a couple touches. I don't think Andy Isabella is going to be an X factor in this game. Uh, but I think it's, it's a good litmus test to see how much base stuff Cliff Kingsbury wants to run, sticking to that, and how creative he wants to be where he does have a lot of these different weapons that, that can make it tough on defense. Of course, the 49ers are very familiar with Andy Isabella based on the 88-yard catch and run a year ago, the marquee highlight of his rookie season. Here's the thing, though. On offense, Cardinals probably don't look that much different to the 49ers, albeit DeAndre Hopkins, obviously. On defense, guess what? Cardinals did hit the big red reset button in much more of a significant way, guys. And, and I don't know if you've heard this, but it's known to be a game of matchups. <laughs> and, and, and the biggest driver in the offseason might have been the guy they get in week one, George Kittle. When you talk about the acquisition of Andre Campbell, you talk about the draft pick Isaiah Simmons, and you're, you're nodding, Kyle, right? Because obviously Steve Kime feels like, He's checked that box, and he doesn't have to wait very long to figure out if they've solved the tight end problem. Yeah, like I, that's what I was going to say. Tight ends were a big issue for the Cardinals last season, and this is the best tight end in the NFL who you get right out, right out the gate. So I think Buda Baker did a pretty good job against George Kittle last season. But you're right. From an inside linebacker perspective, the Cardinals did not have somebody that could regularly hang with tight ends. And Isaiah Simmons and Devondre Campbell are both uh, guys that should excel in coverage, according to the scouting reports. And obviously, Campbell has to do it in a new system on a new team. And Isaiah Simmons is coming from college to try to do it. Question marks there. But from a skill set perspective, I think the Cardinals feel a lot better about what they have this year compared to last. Darren, would you be surprised if you saw Buda Baker on George Kittle? Or, or is he the third option now? Honestly, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a cornucopia of people on George Kittle uh, in this game. In, in no small part, Paul, and because of where the 49ers are with receivers, they've had a lot of injuries. Debo Samuel is, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with him, but he's probably not going to play. You, you know, there, there's just a lot of question marks. George Kittle is their number one target in the passing game. So even though it's a tight end, um, I think you you focus your defense. It, it's funny, last year, Vance Joseph, when he, they were going through all the problems with the tight end, at one point he basically said, look, somebody's going to have to deal with single coverage, and we'd rather deal with the receivers uh, first than the tight end. And I just feel like this might be a situation where the tight end does get uh, numero uno uh, in terms of how the defense is looking at him. So whether it's Buda Baker whether it's uh, Isaiah Simmons or Devondre Campbell, I, I think they all could get shots at him. There might be even some times when they want to bracket the guy. Uh, he's that good. And it, it's interesting because I, I just the other day did an interview with uh, a San Francisco radio station, uh, and they brought up the tight end situation, George Kittle, and, and Isaiah Simmons, be, and getting Isaiah Simmons be, and bringing up how Buda Baker got run over on that one play uh, in the game in Arizona that everybody saw. And I'm like, well, I mean, I understand that's the one play, but Buda Baker's a pro bowler, and I think he proved to be a pro bowler, and I, I don't think it's as one-sided of a matchup 
as it's been uh, as you're trying to portray it. So I, I think they've got a lot of options there and I think they're going to take advantage of all those options. And I think that's a smart move. And I don't disagree. If there's some bracket coverage on George Kittle, he's that good. And he's now paid accordingly. Absolutely. At the same time, they probably got a sense, well, not only four years worth of film of Devondre Campbell covering the tight end Kyle, but there's Devondre Campbell himself proclaiming that he's one of the best cover guys against tight ends in the league. And then maybe just maybe they ran Dan Arnold his way in the month of August to try and get a sense, you know, Dan Arnold has a lot of athleticism, a lot of that speed, former track guy, a DV, division three, Wisconsin Platteville. I think they have a pretty good sense of what they have in Devondre Campbell. And I, I'm guessing he gets the primary assignment on Kittle. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. It's, I think it's a tough matchup for a linebacker to hang with him consistently. First of all, going back to the San Francisco guys, they should watch the rest of that tape because Buda Baker did a really good job against George Kittle besides one play. Uh, but I agree with Darren where I think, and Buda Baker said as much, where they're going to throw a lot of different guys at George Kittle. And it depends on what you're running defensively too. If you're in sub packages or base defense or you want to blitz, I mean, there's a lot of things that can change it. I think Isaiah Simmons will be a guy maybe later in his career that you can say, hey, we're going to shadow an elite tight end with you because you're that good of a coverage guy. But this early being his first game, I feel like it's going to be a, a mix and match situation. Devondre Campbell will be on him, I'd assume, at times. But I don't think it'll be mano a mano the entire game. It's funny, Paul, because I, I know we talked about Jimmy G a little bit earlier in the in the podcast in terms of his contract and stuff. But when you t when you focus in on you know the things he did against this team last year, and when you're upgrading the defense, I mean, to me, that those two San Francisco games and what Jimmy Garoppolo was able to do against the Cardinals might, in a microcosm, really show where this defense needed to be improved and get better because. I'm not trying to take anything away from Garoppolo. I, you know, I think he's a, a fine quarterback. Um, you can argue about where he ranks in terms of uh, tiers in the league, um, but he shouldn't be throwing eight touchdown passes in two games against you. And so, you know, I, I think whether it's the tight end situation or shoring up a, a run defense that might be able to get side to side a little bit better, uh, than they did last year with the way the 49ers might run the ball. I mean, I think, I think in a lot of ways, the 49ers might have been uh, the best catalyst in terms of why they needed to upgrade this defense if you needed to, like, have a tangible reason. Well, right. I mean, every GM has said about winning your own division. That always seems to be the first goal. So you have to be competitive in the division, the most competitive division in the NFL, five of the last eight NFC champions have come from the NFC West. That's not even going back to when the Cardinals won it in 2008. And there they were in the NFC Championship game in 2015. So, so there's that. And I'm guessing the TV producers will have a devoted camera on George Kittle. And then there's Chandler Jones against Trent Williams. And it was intriguing to hear Trent Williams tell the media, Kyle, that he started thinking about this matchup in April, that he's been watching film on Chandler Jones since April. And they do have a history as well. Yeah, they've gone against each other several times. And Chandler Jones is a great player, but so is Trent Williams. So this is certainly no walk in the park. And you can't just write down that Chandler Jones is going to get a sack or two in this game because Trent Williams can hold his own against some elite edge rushers. And I remember Trent Williams from the game against Washington a couple years ago when he was just mauling guys in the run game and holding up as a pass blocker. 
very good guy. And the Cardinals in the past couple of years have always needed Chandler Jones to consistently get pressure in order to have some semblance of a pass rush. This season, if Trent Williams does a good job, especially if they chip Chandler or double him, you're going to need other guys to do it. And I think this is a big game for Jordan Phillips and Zach Allen, uh, guys like that who, who want to show that, yeah, it's not just Chandler Jones in 2020. I, I would agree with that. I mean, to me, where you're coming with this – I mean, we, we know Chandler Jones is good. And, and this goes even beyond this game in particular, but because he's going against Trent Williams – you, you do get worried about any neutralization there. But, you know, other guys, we're going to have to see where other guys are. I mean, they, they don't have to have Devon Kennard get 10 sacks this year. They don't. Um, if he can get you six or seven, that's fine, as long as Jordan Phillips can get you six and seven. or Zach And, and Zach Allen might be able to get five or six. And, you know, maybe Isaiah Simmons blitzing or who knows, maybe even coming off the edge once in a while can give you six or seven. You know, again, you don't need – this this power couple necessarily of a pass rush you just need these other guys to be able to even if they don't get sacks get significant pressure that's that's what you need that's why they got Jordan Phillips was to push that middle of the pocket you know this is over two years ago before Trent Williams dealt with some of the uh, injury issues and then all the discord with Washington etc but I walked around the locker room I and the offensive lineman and Pauly Pencilneck walked around and, and, and looked straight up and said to all the offensive linemen, I got a Pauly poll I'm conducting here. And a lot of the guys said, oh, come on. And they tried to stiff arm me and Heisman me. But here was my question. If you had a top three offensive left tackles in this game, who would it be? And every one of those guys put Trent Williams in the top three. There was a Tyron Smith from Dallas. There were some Andrew Whitworth votes. But every guy that I polled, and there were about seven or eight offensive linemen, all put Trent Williams in there. So if he's back, Darren, to that sort of caliber, this will be a marquee matchup. Well, first of all, were they playing Washington that week? I mean, was he forefront? I don't remember. I, because, I, don't, I don't know. They're playing. It might have been when they were playing Dallas a few okay, years ago. That makes sense. Yeah. That that makes more sense. I just I, I would hate for you to to skew skew the poll that way by by having recency bias. Um, obviously, Trent Williams is a good player. I certainly this is a marquee matchup, and I would argue that, you know, Chandler Jones, when we talk about – we were sitting here talking about why the Cardinals needed Devondre Campbell and, and Isaiah Simmons in large part because of George Kittle. I mean, that works the other way too. I mean, the 49ers wanted to upgrade at left tackle. They didn't know what was going to happen. Joe Staley retires. Um, you got Chandler Jones in your, in your division, probably more so than anybody Seattle or the Rams are going to march out there these days. You need to worry about Chandler Jones coming off the edge twice a year and, hey, let's go get Trent Williams. So. I mean, I guess we're going to see the, the one thing, and, and he's, he allegedly, reportedly has looked really good in camp. He's looked good against Nick Bosa, and that's great. Um, I, I, anything that happens in camp, especially when there's no preseason games in this camp, I'm going to take with a grain of salt just because you don't know how that's going to translate into actual real football. Um, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I still – I still like where Chandler Jones is. And again, whether he gets a sack or two in this game, if he's able to, to rush, come off the edge and make Jimmy G feel him over there. And again, if you get Jordan Phillips pushing the pocket a little bit, that could be enough uh, to let a defensive backfield with a Drake or Patrick and a Patrick Peterson, et cetera, maybe do some things. Maybe Buddha gets his first interception. You never know. Well, and speaking of Pat P., 
typically that's where we start with every defensive game plan. But do you think the Niners' receiving outfit right now would merit Pat P traveling and shadowing a guy for the entirety of this game? Yeah, I think that's would be a surprise. You think back to last year, Emmanuel Sanders did a, a tremendous job. He won that matchup against Patrick Peterson, specifically the one in Arizona. But he's gone, uh, left in free agency, and Debo Samuel, like Darren talked about, we'll see if he plays dealing with an injury. So they have some issues at wide receiver. And if there's not a star, even with Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles when they were here, Patrick Peterson sometimes would not travel if the other team didn't have a legit number one. And Brandon Ayuk is still a rookie, even though a highly regarded one. So I think defensively it's easier on everybody mentally when Patrick Peterson just plays one side of the field. I think you can understand where your coverage is going to shift. And for a guy like Drake Kirkpatrick, who's new in this defense, for Byron Murphy, who's only in his second season, if, if they have a better idea of where they're going to be, it's probably easier on them. So my belief would be he doesn't shadow anybody in the, in the opener. So I grew up in the Silicon Valley, right? And all my buddies are hardcore Niner fans. And last year around the NFC Championship time, these, these guys were texting me relentlessly, what's our weakness? You tell me our weakness. As they went into the Super Bowl, they're all full of the 49ers. Now I'm getting a lot of texts this week from all these Niner Nation guys. Uh, what are you guys planning with Isaiah Simmons? Even the fans are wondering. So if the fans are wondering, I mean, what do you think, Darren, the Niners are thinking with Isaiah Simmons? And to what degree... Could, oh, I don't know, he'd be a bigger or more exotic part of the game plan than anyone anticipates. You know, again, I'm not going to rule anything out at this point. And, and certainly Isaiah Simmons has got the uh, raw tools to do some of those things. And eventually he may do that. But I will say that he hasn't had an offseason. He got no preseason games. Um, we've had Vance Joseph say a couple times, and I would tend to agree seeing – seeing some of the couple of things that I saw in training camp when Vance Joseph says, I mean, I can't speak to what Isaiah Simmons is like in a meeting and Vance Joseph says, and they all say he picks it up super quick, all that stuff, but then he gets out on the field and he becomes a little bit more of an okay player, uh, which tells you that he's got to get used to the speed of the game. And there have been a couple of times that I noticed that he did look like he still got some, a learning curve and there's nothing wrong with that. He's a rookie. Uh, I don't care where you're drafted. And so all that factored in, Paul, I just, I don't know. I don't know how, you know, we, we can talk. I, I'm sure on the off offensive side of the ball, there's a lot of different things that Cliff Kingsbury could unveil in this game or what Kyler Murray might be able to do because he's got a year in. On the defensive side of the ball, when it comes to your number one, your number one draft pick, I just, I think you're going to want to be selective because you might have some, big ideas for what he wants to do. But as we saw with Brandon Williams against the Patriots in 2016, all it takes is one play to derail a game. And you don't want Isaiah Simmons to have that one play against George Kittle where you try to get a little tricky or whatever you did with Isaiah Simmons and have it cost you a touchdown and lose by four points. That would be, that would be not, a, not a fun thing to go through. And according to Bruce Arians, that derailed the season. Yeah. That was his opinion by the end of that season, which – yeah, which it tells you, okay. Well, you know what? By the end of the game, Kyle, based on everything we've seen and heard, if we were to say the standout rookie for the Cardinals on defense was number 92, Rashard Lawrence, I would not be surprised. Not based on what we've heard and seen so far. I'm definitely going to have a half an eye on number 92, the LSU rookie, when he comes into the game, just based on what we've seen in August. 
Yeah, and that says a lot about Rashard Lawrence that that's even a, a plausible scenario because obviously Isaiah Simmons came into camp with all the hype and Lucky Fotu was taken before Rashard Lawrence in the fourth round and they played the same position. So they had, you know, Fotu rated higher as a defensive lineman. But I agree with you that Lawrence has been a guy that has been spoken highly of uh, by Cliff Kingsbury and others. Jordan Phillips said he was surprised that he lasted into the fourth round. And that would be big. I mean, the Cardinals need depth and need some playmakers on the defensive line. You've got Phillips and you've got Corey Peters. Besides that, some guys without uh, much experience. So I think Rashard Lawrence, if he can become that guy and, and give them a nice lift, early on it might be more in flashes. I don't think he's going to play 50% of the time. But if he stands out in that 20 to 25% block, that really is, good th is a good thing for his future. I mean, you look at the decision makers on either side of the ball. Vance Joseph, does he now have those two corners? Everybody now, because we've heard this for an entire year, if he has those two corners, he can run the defense the way he wants to. Are the Cardinals at that point? Is Drake Kirkpatrick that guy? Is Patrick Peterson that guy again? Because you know where you're going against Kyle Shanahan, one of the best play callers, the most innovative guys in the NFL. Defensive players rave about Kyle Shanahan keeping a defense honest. And then you have Cliff Kingsbury with the entire offseason watching XFL film, guys, right? So, so Darren, there could be a lot of innovation on that field when it comes to the old laminated play sheet. Yeah, and, and I, would, I would say that if you're going to spring it on people, let's, let's do it week one when nobody knows what's happened all through the preseason. No one let anything out during training camp. This would be the time. Although, again, you've got to be smart. It's, it's one thing to call it on paper. It's another thing to have guys uh, execute that in the games. And you don't want to get too cute and mess something up because you think this is a good time to spring that trick play on you. And it, it was interesting to hear Kyler Murray this week talk about, um, you know, talk about being able to rep all these reps so many times and how comfortable he is in the offense doing that. You know, they've got, they've got a bunch of plays that they have done a million times. Do those plays. Those are the plays that are, are going to get you ultimately the victory. I remember we were debuting a brand new show back in the day, Fox Sports Net. And my boss looked at me and he said, uh, he said, so what's your approach? You're going to keep it simple? I said, so boss, I'm going to take out my three wood on the first tee. Just going to hit it right down the middle. He looked at me, he goes, make it a five. Make it a five wood. Play it really safe. So I would not be surprised. I'll never forget that. Like I ended up being like VP of Fox Sports, by the way. He, he was sharp. And I never forget that advice. And I think to a certain degree, Kyle, Cliff Kingsbury might have learned that lesson a year ago. It's a lesson Ken Wisenhunt learned in his first game as Cardinals head coach at the Niners once upon a time. Yeah, I think he, he learned that lesson. A lot of the big drives last year in that first game did not work at all. It was a lot of non-fairway, more into the trees and the bunker. So I think he understands that. But Cliff Kingsbury is a guy who uh, he likes to take his shots and he likes his creativity. So I think he's got some stuff up his sleeve and he has a better sense of when he should use it and when he shouldn't. Uh, but I think we're going to see some trickery. We've seen it in the, in the past few games of the regular season when things were rolling and I expect him to be creative. Well, Cliff Kingsbury said if he wasn't a football coach, he'd be on wall street. So what does the stock market hate? Uncertainty the unknown. That's what football coaches hate as well. If they don't know what's coming, if it's not on film, so it'll be curious to see how both sides react in this opener. I mean, if I'm a high school coach, if I'm a college coach, 
this this is a play callers play callers game. You know you know what I mean, Darren. When you got Kyle Shanahan and then Cliff Kingsbury and the way the Cardinals rushing attack evolved, Vance Joseph called the Cardinals rushing attack sophisticated earlier this offseason because they incorporate different methods. A lot of teams will just have one style of running, and obviously the Cardinals have you know involved a few other ones. I think they're going to be pulling more than ever now with Mason Cole and his his uh, mobility and you know getting those guys out into space and. And then who knows from there? I just – I'm very curious, whether it's the rushing attack or just the X's and O's, how daring both guys will get since they've had so much time to scheme up in the offseason. I think that's a very fair point to ask, and, and it, it could make for a lot of interesting times, especially in the first quarter, the first half. Uh, I do think you probably settle into something in the second half, depending on how the game goes. But those first, those first couple of possessions for each team – that I'm expecting anything because I do think that both these guys not only have had a chance to think about it, but I think they relish the idea of pulling something out of nowhere and, and trying to surprise the other team. And uh, I, I'm fully expecting that first quarter to be potentially have some fireworks. Now the question is, is how much have you been, then they've been able to practice and execute it. And that is part of it is it, you don't want to get so uh, creative and fancy that the guys aren't prepared yet to execute something like that. And then it's, then it's just a wasted opportunity. All right. So speaking of Cliff Kingsbury, Kyle put a graphic up in the team meeting, apparently this week, Kenyon Drake hinted as much Cliff Kingsbury confirmed. He put up a graphic, the Cardinals season opener since 2016, a combined win loss record of three twelve and one. Uh, now, there are different mitigating factors, including brand-new head coaches to the NFL the last two years. But the Cardinals, yes, and you're right, Darren, that, that is a big deal. There's no doubt about it. On the other hand, to Darren's point moments ago, you know, there is always a potential to confuse yourself. Ken Wisnott did it once upon a time in his very first game at San Francisco. Yeah. And Monday night, right? baby. Right? Too, too much in the game plan. Yeah. Too, just flat out too much. I'm trying to impress. So I wonder to what degree Cliff Kingsbury learned that lesson to his, his something he's already talked about and, and what that means on game day on Sunday. I'm, I'm glad you pivoted off the, uh, if, if it's predictive to say that they've struggled in the first month, the last four years, and if that's going to happen again, because I was ready to shut that down. <laughs> you, you, you've learned what I was going to say, and I agree with you, where Cliff Kingsbury had issues last year as a first year head coach. And that's the sort of stuff that, you know, I think is real, like a guy trying to adjust to the NFL and having those issues, not because of a certain month or day of the week or weather or time or whatever. Um, but I, I think that they need to get off to a better start this season. There's a lot higher expectations this season. The team is better and we feel like they, you know, they have some winnable games in the first quarter of the year. Obviously this is a very hard one in the opener, but Starting fast is going to be important for the Cardinals just because for the first season in, in a few, there's a lot of hype around this team where the playoffs seem realistic and attainable. And if, if you start 0-3, then it, you know, it takes a lot of air out of the sails. So I do think starting fast is important for the year. And you know what? It's not just the offense. I was looking at some of the numbers in the first month, last couple of years, and it was the Seattle game last year, week three, right? They had 15 missed tackles. Vance Joseph counted 15 missed tackles in a single game. And honestly, Darren, 
if there's one area <laughs> that is right for rust, it's going to be the open field tackling. I would think there's a couple of different spots that kind of would have to make you nervous if you're a coach. It's going to be the tackling. That's a big one because you just – you don't do enough of that anyways. And now with no preseason games and nothing, I mean, that's – that would be scary, especially for the guys that are going to be playing. There was a little bit of it in training camp, but hardly any of it was being done by the guys that are going to be playing a lot. Um, and then the other thing, too, would be penalties. And are you ready for – officials to be calling stuff which you know sometimes you you had that in the preseason games and you would have some of that at practice and now it's like you haven't had any of that for real and now these guys who by the way the officials are going to be rusty too now they're watching you play and you know it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out i'll throw this out there too in reading about the niners javon kinlaw has struggled at times supposedly especially in some of the one-on-one -on -one pass rush drills doesn't quite have maybe some of the technique and the mechanics some other guys might have. Has admitted to, in his college days, using bully ball, I'm bigger, stronger, I'm going through you, I'm going to throw you aside, that doesn't work in the NFL. I bring that up, A, because that's their first-round pick, and they replaced DeForest Buckner with Javon Kinlaw, and we'll see what the return on investment is, especially in week one when he's a rookie, just like the Cardinals and Isaiah Simmons. But B, it makes me all that much more bullish, Kyle, on Rashard Lawrence. We had Rashard Lawrence on the Big Red Rage. Wolf asked him, are you going to be in the rotation? He said, yes, I will be in the rotation. He's apparently proven himself enough. And I don't know about you guys, and I know we can't report on the coolest part of practice, but I'll just throw this out there. Does he not get off the ball? In the live sessions, he gets off in an instant, Rashard Lawrence. And he told us in the Big Red Rage, and maybe share this with the media, I don't know, but that he was asked to two-gap at LSU, and he was always required to hold up his blocker, play run first, then shed the blocker, rush the passer. Now he can just get off the ball and attack. And man, does he get off in a hurry. And that could be a really big deal if he does live up to this hype that he's getting early. I mean, we've we talked about Isaiah Simmons and last year's big pick, Kyler Murray, and a lot of different guys from last year that we're still interested in. And it seems like the beyond Isaiah Simmons, this year's draft class has been a little bit in the background because Josh Jones isn't starting in the beginning of the season and the other guys were later round picks. But you're right, it always catches my attention when Cliff Kingsbury talks about somebody without without a question specifically asked about that person. And credit to you, Paul, when you ask, you know, who's been impressing me and he talks about Richard Lawrence, that, that says something to me is, is there are certain guys that are catching their eye and and yeah, they need depth on the defensive line and they need guys that can get interior pressure. And we probably didn't expect Rashard Lawrence to be a big time impact from early on. We'll certainly know in week one against a pretty good offensive line if, if he can get in there. You know, he's probably not going to play a bunch of snaps, but if he makes his presence known, it's certainly a good sign for his future. He told us that in the offseason, he'd go with Corey Peters over to Bertrand Berry's training center and they'd work out with B Train. And so I texted B Train, I said, hey, Rashard Lawrence had some really nice things to say about you as a teacher and a mentor. And B-Train texted me back, he was a better student. And, and he's been getting a lot of praise, Rashard Lawrence, for his knowledge of the game and just the work ethic. So I, I'm intrigued to see him. Uh, anybody else staring off the radar, so to speak, you know, it, it, that, you know, other than some of the big names, perhaps, that you're curious to see how they play on Sunday? Well, just, uh, you know, just touching on Lawrence real quick, it's funny you mentioned Corey Peters because the number of times that when the defensive and offensive lines had a chance to take a break, a break during 
practice and you do seven on seven or whatever, and they were just having a breather. The number of times I would see Corey Peters and Rashard Lawrence just off on their own and, and, Corey Peters was basically teaching him technique and, you know, where to put your hands on a guy and everything. I mean, that happened all the time. So I love the fact that Lawrence, you know, listening to that stuff, I, I do think he's got a chance uh, mentally to be a really good one. I, I would say other than that, um, for me, it's probably going to be Drake or Patrick um, because here's a guy that you brought in late and you're expecting to hopefully be your number two guy and be able to keep Byron Murphy on the inside. And, and Draker Patrick, before he got hurt last year, wasn't playing great football. Um, and there's a lot of things that went into it. He's still very prideful and he feels like he still has a chance to be a very good player. Um, but, and they're going to need that. And I do think Patrick Peterson's got a chance to be very good this year. So there's going to be people throwing Kirkpatrick's direction. And if he can play, yeah, just a solid number two cornerback. I think that's a big deal. And that's something else I'll be watching. Kyle, why did the Arizona Cardinals keep Chris Trevler? Why did they? Why? Because he's the leveler. I mean, he levels things well, out. What would you have been, what would we have talked about on the podcast if he didn't make the team? Forget the hype. Forget the Dan Arnold hype train. This is me. This is me, David Peralta at third base doing the old, you know, train. Well, forget the whole hype train and all. I mean, Chris, how many teams are only going with two quarterbacks? A lot of teams. So I'm curious, um, is he really going to be that prominent on special teams? What is the struggler? Here's the thing. Here's where I looked at. First of all, I think this this year more than any other, uh, you don't want to get ahead of yourself in terms of practice squad and regular roster because of the ability to promote – two guys from the practice squad every week. So if you're talking about having, if they're worried that Chris Streveler could get picked up by somebody else because of his potential of being a Taysom Hill, you keep him on the active roster and you have maybe uh, another wide receiver or another cornerback or whatever that you think is less likely to go someplace else. You can keep him on the practice squad and just make him be active on Sundays. I think that's part of it. You look at the, the Patriots don't even have a kicker on the active roster right now. They put them both in the practice squad and they're obviously going to elevate one on Sundays and depending on who they want. And then that way they get to save a, a roster spot for somebody who they know could, they could lose as opposed to kickers who probably won't get signed away. So yeah. uh, I think, I think, that's a little bit different, but when it comes to Strebler, I think they have hopes that he can be something. I don't know if he's going to have a giant role in special teams. He may not even be active on Sundays. Don't forget that they still have to have a, a couple of guys be inactive on Sundays. Maybe he's just an inactive guy at first. Um, but I do think they're looking down the road, and I do think they think he can do th- some things on special teams. And I do think eventually they would like to see what he might be able to do offensively fitting in like a Taysom Hill. We'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, the, I, I buy that. Just the nature of the position he plays, period, yeah. merits his inclusion on the 50, especially when you look at some of the names who are backup quarterbacks around the league. Less than impressive, you could see a team jumping on a Chris Stribler. There, there's no – how many guys dress, by the way, this year? So it's not 46? It's more than 46? You can have – yeah, you can have 48 this year, as long as eight of them are offensive linemen. Okay, got it. By the way, you guys realize the Niners are going to the Greenbrier. You got between yeah. week two and three, they are going to the Greenbrier for a week. I, I, I was when I saw that I was stunned, given the situation we're in with COVID. Because obviously there was a lot of discussion. Michael Bidwell even talked about it when the schedule came out that they were thinking about staying back east 
probably between uh, the, the Carolina and Jets games. And I think as far as I know, that's kind of been scotched because of, of COVID and not wanting to deal with it. And now you have a team that is going to go stay out there. I mean, that's a big ask. You know, I'll be at first. I, I was surprised too, but you know, Kyle, what's more preventative guys going home every night or having your own hotel bubble and keeping the entire team in just one location and having the premises virtually to yourself. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it seems I was surprised by it. It seems a little bit risky going to a new area which you're going to have to disinfect. And I feel like when you're at home, you kind of have it down to a science and you can get into a routine, especially at the facility. And then you trust those guys to go home. And I mean, you look at the, the positive percentage and it, everybody's doing a fantastic job of staying safe so far. So I feel like don't mess with something that's working personally, but you know, I'm sure they gave it a lot of thought and, that's, you know, that's the decision they made. But I, clearly the Cardinals aren't doing something like that. They felt like it was a better idea to, to come home each week. By the way, Darren, you have your own dedicated headset for the pregame show, just to let you know. And we put in your name on it. So, you know, we have, the protocols will be in place for the pregame show on game day. I'm very excited to be uh, able to start calling you by your new name, Polly Walt Ellis Calvisi. And uh, so that, that'll be exciting. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to, you know, help myself and Bogart his nickname Vulture Thirteen. But that was well learned as a Vietnam yeah. Army helicopter pilot, That's a guy true. who had a Purple Heart. So, uh, you know, I a man's got to know his limitations. So there's there's no Vulture Calvisi over here. They're absolutely <laughs> not. No, no. Except if they open the uh, the is the press box concessionary going to be open? That's the real key. That's what we need to know at the 49ers. I, I've told a couple people this. It's it's going to be – this first game is going to be interesting. I mean, there's part of me that wishes we were opening at home because so we could kind of get a sense of that. To, to have the first game for us be a road trip and uh, knowing that there isn't any stadium around the league that has done a dry run, a real dry run, to really understand what this is going to be like with all these protocols. I mean, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what it's going to be like for you and me. I don't know what we're going to be walking into when we get there. Uh, it's, it could be, it could be very interesting on Sunday for all of us. Uh, and obviously all of us, uh, aren't necessarily doing, I mean, Kyle, Kyle's moving up in the world getting in front of the camera and going to do a pre and post game show with Lisa Matthews. And, and, you know, we're all going to be doing things because of the pandemic a little bit differently, uh, than we have been. I don't know what coverage is going to be like after the games. I mean, our friends in media relations, they get to have one person go into the locker room and fetch players for post-game interviews. Uh, when normally they've got four, got three or four guys in there, you know, trying to negotiate all of that and do it all in the backdrop of you're getting all this stuff happening and you're, you're having to get guys ready to actually get on a plane to fly home. So we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. And then there's the noise, you know. Uh, does anybody have a decibel meter? I'm going to bring the noise to make sure the Niners aren't up to any funny business when there's a key third down in the game that all of a sudden the decibels don't exceed 80. Uh, we, we need to monitor that because there might be something fishy going on. Let's be honest on that one. So, And not, not to offend the 49er faithful, but there were a few years when they were really bad when it probably didn't even get up to 80 with the, the lack of a crowd. They're, they're better now, so I'm sure it would have been loud, but they had some – pretty lean years and 
the crowd was probably like 20% full for some of those games. It wasn't much of an ambiance. Even when they were rolling last year, that crowd still doesn't match Candlestick. No way. No, no chance. Di- different atmosphere, different vibe. I- I'm with you, Kyle. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, Candlestick, I mean, just in terms of the noise, the intimidation factor, um, shall the we say the physicality in the stands at times. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was Raiders-esque at Candlestick. I, I could see that. And, and you know, if there was a little bit of moisture, it ruined your shoes. <laughs> yeah and the sideline guy had to actually go through the stands up to the press box so you have to walk down through the leaking center block where the water's running down the center block and then down the stands because there's no other way to get down to the field and you would just i would hustle down and just hope that my cardinals red could be mis- you know taken initially by all the drunks for niners red and before they realized that i was the opposition boom i was already on the field so there you go that's a better yeah. one there now it's all Silicon Valley. So, you know, unless you have stock options, don't even show up to a Niners game at this point. That's right. That'll do it for Cardinals Underground. We'll, we'll see how we all survive. For Kyle and uh, Darren and our Jim Wander, I'm Paul Calvisi. We'll see you next week. <laughs>